Okay, let's look at verse 11. I want to read verse 11 through 23, and then we will, then we'll proceed. All right, verse 11, chapter 4 of Judges. Now, Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zanaim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera, that's the general, that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harosheth Hagoim to the Kishon River all his men and, and, and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. We talked about that last week. That's like an Abram's tank. And so he's not only got his foot soldiers, but he has 900 chariots, iron chariots, and this looks for all the world like a mismatch shaping up. Well, in fact, that is exactly what's shaping up. It's a mismatch, except that it isn't going to turn out like everyone thought it would turn out. Okay, 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord, notice the Lord, routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harosheth Hagoim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot. So the leader, the esteemed general, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid, said the spider to the fly, sort of like that. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Say, no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. (laughs) I guess they could have left out the last phrase. We would have assumed that anyway, wouldn't it? And he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. I find that fascinating. I just want to be sure, dead, yes, indeed. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Okay, let's stop there. 
So Barak gathers his army of ragtag peasants. Now, you read the part. There are 10,000 of them. That's a lot of, that's a lot of, of men. But they're a ragtag bunch of peasants. They don't have any training as soldiers. Many of them don't have weapons. Now, some of them obviously have swords, as we read, but uh, they're not a well-trained army, and they're going up against the thousands of troops that Sisera has at his disposal, plus the Abrams tanks or the 900 chariots of iron. So... We read in verse 11 that Heber is allied with Jabin. Keep that in mind because in verse 17 we, we are told uh, about the alliance and this is where Sisera is going. He's running away, running for his life. Little did he know what he was getting into, but he's running where he feels he'll be safe. And in verse 12, they told Sisera where Barak was, Mount Tabor. Now this before he's running for his life. So verse 12, they tell Sisera. Who tells him? The Kenites. The Kenites tell him. So Barak is on Mount Tabor. And so verse 13, Sisera and his army and his 900 iron chariots come to Mount Tabor to destroy Barak. Little did Sisera know, and this is important, Little did Sisera know that the hand of God was pulling him to Mount Tabor. He believes certain victory is his. Like 900 tanks against an untrained infantry of Barak. So in verse 14, Deborah reassures Barak, this is the day... The Lord has made, this is the day the Lord is going to deliver Sisera into your hand. The Lord has gone ahead of you. And so, down Mount Tabor comes Barak with all his men, and they come face, they come to face Sisera, who had just set up camp at the base of Mount Tabor. Now let me tell you my Mount Tabor story. Um, my first time to Israel was in the mid-80s. And on that trip, we, our little group, went to Mount Tabor. And uh, Israel wasn't really as advanced then as they are now. And there were some places that today you visit easily. But then it was pretty hard visiting some places. So Mount Tabor was not really set up for tourists, but it had a one narrow winding road that wound around the mountain and went to the top and there were taxis a few not many but a few taxis they weren't really they were just cars <laughs> cars driven by arab men who for a fee would drive you up that trail to the top of mount tabor well i wasn't about to miss it this was my first time there and for all i knew it would be my last time i mean i didn't know i'd get to go back so I wanted to go up Mount Tabor. So a couple of my friends and I paid whatever shekels we had to pay, hop in this car, and up this winding, narrow road we go. Now, to picture a road barely wide enough for a car, barely wide enough for a car. Up we go, about halfway up, what I had never dreamed of happening happened. We met one of those cars coming back down the hill taking people who had already been to the top. Now the two drivers stop. 
I mean, they get really close. They see each other, but they don't stop until they're just right there. Now, I don't know if you've ever been. Some of you have. You can't, you can't be an Arab or a Jew and talk without your hands. So they are. And I recognize that not all of the gestures are Christian in nature. Well, they're, none of them are Christians anyway. So, and I don't know Arabic, but I know a four-letter word when I hear it. And they were flying back and forth, gesturing at each other, shouting. And they couldn't hear each other. They're in the car and the windows rolled up, but they're shouting at each other, shaking their fists. So I'm thinking, well, where is this going? So all of a sudden, our driver slams his fist on the, on the wheel and puts it in reverse and begins to go down the mountain. So the other car is just immediately coming right, right on us. I mean, right on us. And I'm thinking, we're going all the way to the bottom. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> and, you know, I, my wife didn't get to come on this trip. It's my first one. I got two little kids at home and I'm thinking, this isn't really where I wanted to die. <clears throat> so we're backing down and finally there is one little place that's just a little bit wider and he pulls his car over as far as he can get against, thank goodness we were on the inside, against the wall of the Mount, of Mount Tabor and this other car begins to go around us and they are, I mean, I'm thinking their right wheels are hanging off the edge. They've got to be. And they are so close to us, you know, they pull their mirrors in, they're so close to us that, I mean, you could, you could feel their breath. So here we are. And the guy going down the hill stops, rolls down his window. Our guy rolls down his window, and they keep going, blah, 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 shaking their fist at each other. And and so finally they get by, and we get back out on the major highway. And we go up, we start going up the mountain. Suddenly it occurs to me, what if this happens again? Or what if when we are going down, we meet a car coming up? And I really wanted to just jump out of the car and run down the path to go back to the bottom. I'd about had it. But it was worth it when I got to the top. The view was spectacular, and we did not meet anybody coming back down. Thank the Lord. That's my Mount Tabor story. Now, in verse 14, 15, notice it says, The Lord routed Sisera. So we'll be sure who gets the credit for this. The credit is not going to Barak or to Deborah. It's going to the, the Lord routed Sisera. Otherwise, this couldn't have happened. I mean, look at the mismatch here with the iron chariots. The Lord routed Sisera, and it's a total victory for Barak. It's like lightning, which is what his name means. Barak means lightning. However, while all his men are falling around him, Sisera takes off and runs. What a great leader. He takes off and runs. Now, Barak, in verse 16, wants to fully obey God. He could have said, let him go, we've slaughtered his army, just let him go. But Barak wants to be totally obedient to God, not partially obedient. And so he pursues Sisera, totally destroys the army, and is going after Sisera. Now, there's more to the story of how this victory is won. That's chapter 5, so we're almost there. Verse 17, Sisera flees to his ally, 
Heber and to his tent and to his wife who is there, Jael, Jael. Now in verse 18, Jael graciously greets him and welcomes him into her tent and even tells him to not be afraid. Um, what was it the, the Roman centurion said? You, you who are about to die, <laughs> hail Caesar or whatever it was they said. She hides him with a blanket, covers him up. In verse 19, he asks for water. She gives, notice she gives him fresh milk, probably warm and kept warm maybe in the sun. I, I don't know, it's like a sedative. You ever had warm milk before you went to bed? So here's this warm milk and, and Cicero's already exhausted. He's covered up by this warm blanket. He's kind of like a cocoon. And, and so before you know it, he's sound asleep after he had told her, please tell anybody who comes by that you're here alone. Nobody is here with you. Now in verse 21, he's exhausted. He's asleep. She takes the tent peg and a hammer and drives it through his temple and he's dead. So remember, when Deborah said a woman's going to get the glory for this, here she is. Wasn't Deborah? That's who you would have thought if you'd never read the story, just reading it for the first time. You would have thought Deborah's talking about herself, but no, she wasn't. Jael is the woman. So in verse 22, Barak is in pursuit. Jael sees him. Well, said, "Come on in to the to the tent." Now my guess is Barak. Uh, went into the tent with sword drawn. He knows the Kenites are allied with 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 uh, Jabin and, and with Sisera. And she may have said, "The man you're looking for is in here, dead." I don't know what what she told him to get him to come in, but I don't think Barak would have just walked in with his hands dangling by his side. I, I believe he had his sword and probably some of his men with him. They didn't really know what they were going to face when they went inside that tent, but when they got in there. There he is with a pit t- tent peg driven through his head, and he is dead, definitely dead. So in 23, verse 23, we have the declaration of, uh, of victory. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. So who gets the glory here? God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And if, if it had not been God, this battle would have turned out differently. And we'll read more detail on that in chapter 5. So uh, Barak and his army continue to press after Jabin, and they just totally destroy him. So who are the heroes of this story? Well, Barak's a hero, Deborah's a hero, Jael's a hero. But the real hero is God, and the text makes that clear. The real hero is God. He did this. He did what only God can do. You know, isn't that what we pray for in our, in our church and in our lives God, we ain't, we don't know how to do this, but you do. God, would you please do what only you can do? And he does. There have been, some of you have been healed of sicknesses. Some of you have had some incredible obstacles overcome that you couldn't do. You called out to God, and he did what only he can do. And he continues to do that. Now, let me say three things about Barak. Uh, number one, God sent Barak and used him to deliver Israel. This is not the last time in Scripture that we see Barak. In fact, if you will look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11, or jot it down, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11, Then the Lord sent 
Jeroboam, which is also translated. Who knows what that, the other name for that is? You know him well. Gideon. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam, Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. And he delivered you, speaking to the, this is Samuel's farewell speech. And he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you so that you lived in safety. So there we see Barak again. So God sent Barak and used him to deliver Israel. Number two, Barak won a major battle. This is not a little skirmish. This is a major battle between two large, one ragtag bunch of nobodies and another well-trained professional army equipped with 900 chariots of iron. This is a big deal. It doesn't take long for the Bible to describe it, but don't lose that. Don't lose the enormity of this just because it doesn't take long for the Bible to tell about it. Now, number three, what he did, he did by faith. Barak, what he did, he did by faith. Well, how do we know for sure he had any faith? Well, I invite you to the Faith Hall of Fame, which is Hebrews chapter 11. And in verses 32 and 33, the author of Hebrews says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samuel, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. There you go. There is the faith of Barak. Isn't it marvelous how we read about someone or something and then later in the scripture we get a bigger picture and then later in scripture we get another big picture. So we learn about Barak used of God in a gigantic battle and a man of faith. So we're done momentarily with chapter 4. But let's go to chapter 5, which I've entitled The Song of Deborah. Now, in reality, it says in verse 1 of chapter 5 that Deborah and Barak both sang. But because Barak gets more credit during the battle, we're going to give the song to Deborah. Okay. Deborah's the writer. All right. Now, chapter 4, back to verse 23. Remember this. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. So Jabin is defeated. We expect to read about peace, because that's the cycle of Judges. We expect to read about, and we do, but not until chapter 5, verse 31. If you'll turn the page or look there. It says in the very last sentence of the fifth chapter, then the land had peace for 40 years. 40 years. Now, some of you are under 40, a few of you. The rest of us are somewhere north of 40. What were you doing 40 years ago? Where were you? What were you doing? How old were you 40 years ago? Well, from that point to this was the length of time that Israel had peace because of this victory that we've read about. So first, we're going to read in chapter 5, we're going to read of the same events as chapter 4, 
from a different approach. You can look at a story and tell it from one angle, or you can look at it and tell it from another. Same story, same outcome, through two different lenses, the story of the victory of Barak and Deborah. And this is a song. We know that because that's what the Scripture says. It carries a theological approach rather than a recitation of history. We've sort of gotten the recitation of history in chapter 4, but we're getting the theological view of it in chapter 5. The song, the poetry, looks beneath the surface of history and reveals even more clearly than chapter 4 the hand of God. Now, I want to read verses 1 through 12, and then we will discuss... What time is it? Yeah, we've got time. Okay, chapter 5, verse 1. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinom, sang this song. wonder what it sounded like. Love to hear it. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. Hmm, that's significant. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, travelers took to winding paths, In other words, it was a bad time in Israel. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, and that's why we call it the Song of Deborah, because she sort of takes over here, okay? Step aside, please, Barak. I'll finish the song. Until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 In Israel, they had no weapons. Why? Jabin took them away from them. He took them away from them. When he, when he oppressed them and conquered them, he took their weapons. My heart, verse nine, my heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his villagers in Israel. So go get water. Ladies are singing about God. Maybe if you're working around the yard or the house, maybe you sing songs about the Lord. But that's what they're doing. They're singing. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up. Wake up, Deborah. Wake up. Wake up. Break out in song. Arise, Barak. Take captive your captive son of Abinom. Okay, let's stop there. Now, in chapter 4, the name of the Lord is used in four verses. That's all. Just four verses. Three of them, Deborah is the speaker. But in chapter 5... Verse 1, Deborah and Barak break out in song, and in chapter 5, God is everywhere. Everywhere throughout chapter 5. As Israel marched, 
God was on the march. Now, in verse 4, did you catch it? The rain that poured from the clouds. Now, later on, when we read a little further, we're going to read that what happened what happened to Sisera's army. They camped by the river Kishon. Remember, they had just set up camp, and here comes the here comes the troops of of, of uh, Barak down the mountain. They're set up along the Kishon River. It is without question, without question, the dry season. There is no way that a general like Sisera would have camped along the river if it were the rainy season. He would have known this is not smart. So it's the dry season. They camp along there. It begins to pour down rain. And guess what happens? The river floods. His army is enmeshed in the flood. The the iron chariots are now absolutely worthless. Who causes the rain? How did God win this victory? Did he cause the the Israelites to suddenly... um, did God miraculously create chariots for them to ride? What well, I mean, he could have. God can do that, but that's not what he did. God just used nature, caused it to rain, caused the river to flood. And as they say, the rest is history. Now, we'll get more to that as we go along. So in verse 4, he causes the rain. The one before whom mountains quake was going to war. The ground shakes, Deborah and Barak say in their song. In verse 6... They are describing what Israel was like prior to the defeat of Sisera. The roads were abandoned and village life ceased as we know it. Life had come to an end as they traditionally knew it because they had chosen to follow false gods and they were oppressed by Jabin. Under idol worship, Israel fell under oppression and fell into societal decay. So, You see, sometimes we quickly read through verses, but that's important to understand the setting. Israel was falling apart societally. They were oppressed. They had no strength. They had no army. What weapons they had had been taken away from them. They were in trouble. So much so that they didn't even walk down the main roads anywhere because they were afraid of what had happened to them. So they go by side paths to get from place to place. Every family is was fending for themselves. Because societal life had fallen apart. And, and the only hope they found came in the person of a woman by the name of Deborah. In verse 7 it says, Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose a mother in Israel. She en- enlisted willing volunteers to go to war, throw off the oppressor, and their actions are really God's actions as we find reading through these verses. Okay? And we've got to stop. We're going to pick up next time with verse 13. There's more to this battle than we have read so far. So remember, five, chapter 5 is a recitation with more detail, a theological explanation for the summary statement that we find in verse 4. You know, we could talk about World War II and we could say the United States won World War II. And you could just say that sentence and let it go. Okay, that tells you what happened, but not with any detail.
So we follow that up with here's how the war was won. Well, the verse 5, chapter 5, is giving us more detail from a theological perspective of what happened in chapter 4. So we'll pick up next time with um, verse 13 and continue on through the rest of chapter 5. I can't wait for chapter 6. Who do we meet in chapter 6? Gideon. I just absolutely love Gideon. That's a great story. So we're on our way uh, to reading about Gideon. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for the fact that you do what only you can do in our lives. I pray that we'll look to you, we'll trust you, we'll call out to you, and that in our hearts and in our lives and in our church, you will do what only you can do. And we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. And we will live faithful lives before you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you.